last week, just to remind you uh, or fill you in. Uh, Philemon is a letter written by Paul while he was in prison, imprisoned, and he's uh, writing to a, uh, a Christian, uh, one of the wealthy members of the church in Colossae, and uh, possibly a leader in that church. Um, but being a wealthy person of the time, he had slaves, and one of his slaves had, had very possibly stolen from him and run away and escaped and, and then met Paul, and he became a Christian. And so Paul's writing this letter to, and, and he's sending the letter back with Onesimus, this slave, um, asking Philemon to set him free, asking Philemon to treat him as a free person, and not just a free person, but, but to just forgive him and to treat him as a brother, as a family member. And as Paul writes to Philemon, we, we learn all sorts of things of, um, about what it means to love well. How do we love people well? So listen to God's word as I read from Philemon, verses 8 to 16. It's printed in your order of worship if you don't have a Bible. Um, if you do have a Bible, I encourage you to follow along there. But uh, Paul has just finished reminding Philemon how thankful he is for his love. Um, the reality of Philemon's love that flows from his faith. And then this is what Paul says next. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake... I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would work by your spirit now um, as we think about these words that Paul wrote to Philemon so many years ago. We pray that you would show us yourself, that you would show us what it means that you have loved us and what it means to love others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm a little embarrassed to tell you all that last week, I spent way too much time wandering around a forest and getting nothing done. I was wandering around a forest and getting nothing done for the majority of the week. I'm more embarrassed to tell you that it wasn't an actual real forest. It was just a forest in a video game um, <laughs> that my kids, a lot of my kids play. It's the new, the new uh, Legend of Zelda game that came out for the Nintendo. And, uh, you know, it's this sort of game where you, it's this fantasy world, you, you're like traveling all around the world and you're solving all different puzzles and you're trying to defeat monsters and things like that. And, uh, and, and you're, you know, you're given these different tasks that you have to go around and do and find different places. And, and like, you know, I, I, every time I play or try to play, I guess I should say, I always like put it away. I'm like, I'm so bad at this. This is awful. I'm, I'm just, it's embarrassing. And I was even, you know, I, I was... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I caught myself uh, asking my seven-year-old David for advice on what to do next. And um, 
it's, you know, you would think a video game that a lot of kids are, you know, really good at, can master, should be easy. It should be simple. It shouldn't be that hard to do. But in fact, it is really hard. There's a lot of video games out there that are just really hard, you know, as, as an older person. It's like, yeah, am I wasting my time here? Probably. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of things in life that, that seem like they should be simple, they should be easy, but they're actually a lot more complex. They're a lot harder than we think. They're a lot harder to do. I, I just found out this past week, you know, um, have you ever thought about trying to prove that one plus one equals two? You would think that proving one plus one equals two is really easy to do. Um, but some, some really intelligent mathematicians one time proved that one plus one equals two, and it took them over 360 pages to do it. Believe it or not, that's, that's, you know, if you're really going to prove it, that's what you, it takes that much work, that much time, that much effort. It's, it's a lot harder than you think. There's a lot of things in life that are harder than we think. We just assume will be easy. And love is absolutely one of those things. We all assume that it, it should be easy. It should be natural for us to know how to love people around us. We think that loving is just something that's simple, something that's instinctual. We all know how to do it. We just assume that we know how to love. But the reality is that loving is a lot harder than we think. It's a lot more complicated than we think. Um, if, if we're really honest with ourselves, after we try to love people, we should probably come to the conclusion, yeah, I'm really bad at this. <laughs> this isn't that easy. As Paul writes to Philemon, his whole approach to Philemon, as he says in verse 9, is for love's sake. He's, right? He begins verse 9, he says, yet for love's sake, this is how I'm asking you to, uh, to change the way you treat Onesimus. For love's sake. That's his whole approach. In fact, Paul was a guy who overflowed with love. He overflowed with love. Love determined his whole approach to uh, writing the letter to Philemon. Love determined the way that he saw Onesimus and interacted with him. Love determined the whole way that he looked at his life. He was a man who was overflowing with love. And so as we look at these eight verses, I think that we can learn by Paul's example and the way that Paul, uh, the things that he wrote to Philemon, we can learn more about how to love people as hard as it is. Um, And I want to look at three things. I want to look at, at what love wants, how love leads, and what love loves, okay? What love wants, how love leads, and what love loves. So first of all, I think Paul shows us at least one thing that love wants here. Um, Two times Paul makes a point of saying how he doesn't want to force Philemon to do what he's asking him to do, right? He says in verse 8, Though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. See, see, Paul was an apostle. He had authority. And not only that, he very likely was responsible for Philemon coming to know Jesus, becoming a Christian. So he had authority in Philemon's life to say, look, you need to do this. I'm commanding you to do this. But he doesn't, right? He says in verse 9, yet for love's sake, I I prefer to appeal to you. I'm asking you to do this. And then later on, again, in verse 14, he says, I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Yeah, so, so why is Paul so, why is it so important to Paul that he's not forcing Philemon to do what he knows he should do, and he's asking him to do it? 
He seems to be giving Philemon some freedom here to make the right choice. And I think what this shows us is that love, what love wants, love doesn't want people to just do the right thing. Love wants people to grow to become people who want to do the right thing. Love doesn't force people to do what's right. Love works to encourage and help and, and, and lead people to become the sorts of people who do what's right, who want to do what's right. Um, love doesn't use power and force uh, to make people around us do what we know that they should do. Um, love doesn't manipulate the people around us to make them do what we think is right. Love takes people as they are and seeks to encourage, to help, to cheer them on, to serve, support. Um, and if you're a parent of little kids, you might be like, nope, I'm sorry. If I don't force my kids to do some things, they're going to get hurt, right? Um, they're not going to make the right choice, and I need to protect them by forcing them to do things. Okay, that, yes. I will concede that point. As, as parents, as you raise little kids, you need to protect them from themselves, absolutely. <laughs> because they rarely want to do the right thing. And if you don't force them, in some cases, they will end up wandering out into the street and getting hit, right? Um, you you kind of have to force them to eat broccoli sometimes. But, but the reality is, as you raise kids, what is the goal? You don't want to raise kids as they grow up to be just doing everything out of habit because they're supposed to do things. You want to raise kids to eventually become people who know what is right and want what is right, you know? As, as we, a lot of kids, we, we have to force our kids to come to church with us sometimes, right? But we don't want to raise them to become people who go to church because that's just what they're supposed to do out of habit. We want them to grow up to become people who love Jesus and want and are excited to come to church to worship him to be with God's people, right? That is the goal. The goal of love is to want people to change, to become different, to become people, the people that they're, that they're made to be, rather than just trying to force them. And so love gives people freedom to fail. Love gives people space and freedom to fail us that they might change, that they might grow. And, and I think as, as part of this, absolutely, Prayer is a massive part of love. Because really the only thing that's going to change anyone around us, whether it's our, our kids or our spouse or our friends or our coworkers, is the work of God in their hearts. And so we need to be encouraging, helping, coming alongside them and praying for them. Right? Love wants, love doesn't just want people to do better, love wants people to be better. And how can I be a part of that? How can I be a part of serving them to help them to be better? Um, but then that, that brings us to how love leads. I mean, that's a big part of love. Is we're not just forcing people. We're not just trying to, to force people to become something different. We're trying to lead them to become something different. Um, and here, I, I want you to notice how Paul shows Philemon how to love in, in the way that Paul lives, in the way that Paul interacts with him. And he does four things in the way that he leads Philemon to love, okay? Um, the first thing that he does is he, he lays down his own rights. He lays down his life completely. Um, look at it, as Paul starts talking in verse 9, he says, Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. And then, he, and then he has this little aside, and he says, I, Paul, an old man, 
and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Why is Paul bringing up his age here? Why is he reminding Philemon of the fact that he's an old man and a prisoner for Christ Jesus? I I think for a lot of us, um, especially those of us who have lived a number of years, more years than other people, you know, my, my sons and I used to look at people who were older and we would, we would call them more experienced, you know, that you're just more experienced, you're not getting old, you're getting more experienced. But, but as we get older, as we put time in, as we put all of this effort into our lives, a lot of us start to be like, you know, it's time for me to just think about me. It's time for me to relax. It's time for me, it's time for my, like that's, that's how a lot of us view retirement, right? I've put in all of this time, I've put in all this effort, I've put in all this work, I'm tired, it's time for me to just relax and play some golf, you know? And yet, how does Paul view his, his age, his experience? He says, I'm an old man, and I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. You know, in spite of the fact that he's put in all of this time, all of this effort, he's suffered in so many different ways, he's old, he's lived a long life, and yet still, he doesn't consider his life his own. He belongs to Jesus. He's a prisoner. He's a prisoner now, literally, because he is committed to loving Jesus and loving other people. That's what's important to him. He's laid down his life, truly, for the sake of love. I think that's what love does. It it denies our own rights. It it says, I'm going to lay down my life, what I want, what I think I deserve, for the sake of the people around me, right? And so that's the first thing he does. He lays down his own life. He lays down his own rights. Secondly, love sees people as valuable. Love sees people. Love sees people. He invites Philemon to see Onesimus as a person with value rather than an object. Think about, think about it. Up until this point, Onesimus has been a slave. He's been a possession belonging to Philemon. Philemon has seen him, in, in, no matter what kind of relationship they had before, Philemon had, had his perspective of Onesimus is as a thing in a lot of ways, you know? And Paul writes, writes to him, and he says in verse 10, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. He's my child. He's someone I, that I love, Philemon, whose father I became in my imprisonment. In verse 11, he says, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. There's a little bit of a play on words here. Onesimus, the name Onesimus means useful. And uh, Paul, doesn't, Paul uses a different, different word here when he talks about being useless and useful, but, but he's pointing out the fact that Onesimus, Philemon, you might think Onesimus is, is valueless. He, he's, he's, he's just a thing to be, to be used. But he's not. He's, he's a person of value and significance, a person who, who is, is worth loving. My child, right? And I think um, for a lot of us, something that gets in the way of us loving people is, is we often look at them and we don't see them as real people of value. We see them maybe as if, if they have, are, are, you know, disagree with us in, in a major way. We, we see them only in, in, in that term, in those terms. You know, we don't see them as, as a person made in the image of God with real value and significance. Maybe a person who's different, who has different political beliefs from us. Um, we don't see them as a person. A person who stands up for specific causes that we disagree with. We don't see them as a person. We need to see people as people. Oftentimes we see people not as people, but instead we see them as obstacles 
that get in the way of what we want in life. Often the people that are closest to us, we forget to see them as people because they're just getting in the way of what I want today. And Paul reminds us we need to see those around us as people made in the image of God, as people who are worthwhile, who have value, who have significance, no matter how different they are from you. Number three, love makes itself vulnerable. Um, It opens itself up to being hurt, to experiencing loss. In verse 12, Paul says, I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. So Paul is doing a really risky thing here. You realize this. Paul doesn't know how Philemon is going to respond. He's sending Onesimus with this letter. He's sending Onesimus, who has offended Philemon, who has possibly stolen Philemon. Philemon has a right to be angry with Onesimus. He's sending Onesimus back, not knowing what Philemon will do. Philemon, as as an owner of slaves at that time, would have been... um, from, from the culture's viewpoint, within his rights to have him killed or beaten, let alone just taken back into captivity as a slave again. Paul doesn't know for sure what Philemon's going to do. And, and, and Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon anyways, and he, and he says, I'm sending my very heart. You see how Paul loves Onesimus so much that his heart is bound up with Onesimus. If, something, if anything bad happens to Onesimus, it's going to be painful for Paul, right? He's putting himself in a very vulnerable situation. Yeah, let alone Onesimus. He's like, you think you're vulnerable. He's putting Onesimus in a very vulnerable situation, all for the sake of love. All for love's sake. That's what love requires. It requires us to to open ourselves up to be vulnerable to the people that we're trying to love. It, it, It involves us letting go of power and putting ourselves in the hands of others in some ways. Love means making ourselves vulnerable. And and I think trying to protect ourselves and keep ourselves from being vulnerable actually absolutely gets in the way of love, of loving the people around us. Because the thing is, when you make yourself vulnerable, it it is a doorway that that, that, that opens up a way for greater intimacy, greater trust a deeper, stronger relationship that isn't made when we, when we are just protecting ourselves and making sure we're not going to get hurt. And so love makes itself vulnerable. Number four, love assumes the best in others. And, and in verse 13, Paul says, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. So Paul is saying, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming, Philemon, that you would have actually liked to have helped me here. You would have liked to have served me, and, and I would have been glad to keep Onesimus here to serve me on your behalf. He's assuming that Philemon wants to help him. He's assuming that, that Philemon would like to have, have, have served right alongside Paul. He's, he's assuming that, that Philemon has good motives and, and wants to help and wants to love Paul and serve alongside him. And I think this is another challenge for us as far as loving people. We often um, are quick to judge others. We're quick to assume the worst in others, and that gets in the way of us loving them. We are quick to assume that others have bad motives. 
um, we're quick to, we are quick to assume that, that others um, uh, are, have, you know, have it in for us. Whether it's the people closest to us that we live with, sometimes we assume the worst in them. But as you see it all the time, when, if, you, if anybody of you go on social media, it, it's, it's constantly happening as, you, happening as you see people interact on social media, they're constantly assuming the worst in one another. They say something just simple, you know? And then everybody's just jumping on them, just assuming that they said it because of something else that's just <laughs> diabolical, right? We're constantly assuming the worst about one another. And, and I think love on the other hand, assumes the best. Love gives one another the benefit of the doubt. Love is very slow to judge one another. And so that's how, how Paul leads here in, in order to, to demonstrate love to Philemon. I mean, this isn't the, the full, you know, this isn't the entirety of what it means to love, but these are just a few things of what it means to love. It lays down its own rights. It sees people as people and makes itself vulnerable and it, it assumes the best. But none of these things are easy to do. None of these things are easy to do. As you think about trying to apply these things today in your lives, how on earth do we do it? It's really hard. It's really hard. But I, would, I, I think that in, if you look in verse 15 and 16, Paul gives us, I would say, somewhat of a secret to the act of loving well. He gives us a secret to the act of loving well, and it has to do with what love loves has to do with what love loves. Even as Paul writes about love, you know, as he makes this appeal all from, the, uh, from, from a position of love for Philemon and for, for Onesimus, Paul seems to be, in my mind, he's, in verse 15, he seems to be preoccupied maybe with a greater love story, a love story that God is in the midst of telling and living out. He says in verse 15, he says, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. He, uh, Paul starts to speculate on why this whole situation is, is even taking place. Why was Onesimus, you know, why did Onesimus run away? Why did he come to know Onesimus? And Onesimus became a Christian. Like, why did all of this happen? Paul's speculating. And he says, perhaps, perhaps this is why he was parted from you. Whenever you see, so when it talks about uh, the, the verb, the form of the verb was parted is, is the passive form of to part, right? Was parted. Um, whenever you see a passive verb in the New Testament, the Old Testament, one thing to always think about, always you know, question and wonder, is, is, is this something that scholars refer to as a divine passive, okay? Which means that when, when you see a passive form of a verb, um, a lot of scholars will, will look at this and say, well, you know what, what, he's, what he's trying to encourage us to deduce from this is that God is the one who's doing the action. So when he says, perhaps this is why he was parted from you, he's really saying, perhaps this is why God parted you. This is why God separated you from each other. As Paul looks at this whole situation, he sees God's hands behind it all. He sees God writing a story, not just any ordinary story, but writing an incredible story of love, an incredible love story, because what happens, what, what's the culmination, what's the climax of this love story is that, he would, that, that Philemon would receive Onesimus back forever. That Philemon would receive Onesimus back not as a slave but as a brother. As a brother, as a family member. 
that, 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 that what would happen here is, is a, a monumental reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus. That is why God is doing this. I mean, isn't that what a lot of you know, great love stories have in them? Is this great, there's, there's always this conflict and then this incredible reconciliation that comes as a result of the conflict. A lot of love stories, whether it's a romantic love story, you know, like where somebody runs through a city, you know, trying to declare their love to this person that they've hurt. Or they sprint through an airport trying to catch the person at the gate before they get on the plane to say they're sorry. You know, or they're waiting in a coffee shop to surprise the person and forgive them. So many of the love stories that we watch today have these you know, incredible reconciliation moments that bring you to tears. Even, not, even the ones that aren't romantic. You know, we just watched uh, this, this movie called Warrior uh, a week ago. It's one of Titus's favorite movies, and it's about a couple brothers who are mixed martial arts fighters. And uh, they are estranged from, another, from one another, but in the end, come together. And, and it's, you know, it's, I, you know it's, I'm just sobbing at the end of that. It's just so moving. Or, you know, you have, uh, you have Pride and Prejudice, the great scene at the end um, of Pride and Prejudice uh, when, when uh, both uh, Lizzie and, and, and Mr. Darcy, you know, they, they, they come together. They, they walk across a field towards one another at dawn and the sun's rising and they both come to one another and they confess to one another how they've, they've hurt the other, how they've judged the other. And they ask for forgiveness and they embrace and they kiss as the sun, you know, shines through them. You know, that's what all the great love stories have, or at least a lot of them. And I think that's what Paul sees here. Paul sees a love story happening here, a love story that God is the author of. God parted Onesimus from Philemon so that he might bring them back together as family, so that he might celebrate their love for one another because of what he has done. And I think Paul sees this Paul's preoccupied with this as he's writing this letter because he himself has been the object of God's love, of the greatest story, right? Where he was running from God, he was, a, he was hunting down Christians, and then Jesus hunted him down to tell him, Paul, I love you. I love you. And because of that, Paul was transformed because Paul understood that Jesus died for him to demonstrate his love for him. And, and, and so as Paul has been loved by God, that's where he sees God is, God is doing this everywhere. In the big sense, in the, 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 big, the big plot line of all history, that he sent Jesus to die for sinners, to declare his love for them, that they might experience his love. But also, on little tiny levels in all of our lives, that God is doing things to love us. That he's working all things together for the good of those who love him. And so Paul sees a love story happening and he sees an opportunity for him to be part of that love story, to be an instrument of God, to be used in, in this incredible love story that is happening between Philemon and Onesimus as they are reconciled with one another. See, when you realize that you are loved by God, that a big part of his love story is reconciling you to himself and pouring his love out upon you then that becomes the most important narrative of your life. That becomes the most important narrative of your life. When I've experienced the love of God and the love story he is writing, I begin to look around me for how God wants to love my wife and how might he want to use me 
in that process. How God wants to love my kids today, and how does he want me to want to use me as he loves them, as he gives them good gifts, as he takes care of them? How does God want to use me as he's writing his love story of the people that I work alongside? And how does he want to use me today? What opportunities is he giving to, to me today to point them to the love of God, to serve them, to lay down my life for them? So this is it. God has written a story of love and history, sending Jesus to live and to die. And because of Jesus' sacrifice, you can say, I'm loved by the God of the universe. I'm forgiven. I'm reconciled to him. I'm no longer a slave, but I'm his child. His beloved child. And and he wants to use you as he continues writing stories of love all around you. He wants to use you to, to lead other people to know Jesus that way. He wants to use you to, to love people, to help them to become better. To become the people that he created them to be. And so he's inviting you today. He's inviting you this morning to embrace the love story that he has made you part of and to be part of the love story that he's writing in everybody else's life. Let's pray together. Father, we, we pray that you would help us to, to, to see the reality of your love for us, to see how awesome your love is. And Father, we pray that you would help us to see that, that loving people isn't about just trying really hard to be kind, trying really hard to serve and, and, and things like that, but, it, but it's about the wonder. It's about having our imagination and our heart captured by the love story that you have told in history through your son, Jesus. Father, we pray that you would help us to rest in your love for us and to be fueled by that love. Father, we pray that as we look at the, the world around us, our, our vision, our perspective of everything would be colored by the love story that you are telling. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We now have an opportunity to celebrate God's love for us. Um, his love for us that is displayed at the cross of Jesus and uh, to prepare our hearts to do that, we're going to confess our sin together with the prayer that's printed in your order of worship. We'll pray that out loud together, and then we'll have a